0: In the fall each year we all congregate The vows all gathered at the church of hellgate The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite birth, my God, a precious, Drunk and obnoxious, what well children faith Ain't nothing to find her in the lane Now the 3,000 of our
1: best friends It's Saturday and last Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley. We are a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans, and we are fired up today to be joined by University of Georgia men's golf head coach Chris Hack. Uh, before his time with the dogs, Coach Hack had a prolific career with the American Junior Golf Association, dedicating over 20 years to its growth and development. Uh, in 1996, he began his tenure at the helm of Georgia Golf, and he is approaching his 25th anniversary with the program. He has piloted the dogs to two national championships. He has been eight SEC titles. He's been named the national coach of the year twice, has been a five-time SEC coach of the year, has had five SEC players of the year and eight SEC freshmen of the year under his tutelage. Ten of his former players have gone on to play on the PGA Tour, and he has been inducted into the GCAA Hall of Fame the GSGA Georgia Golf Hall of Fame, and the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. Coach Hack, thank you for being with us this morning.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: So the first thing I want to ask you about is tell us how golf played a role in your life when you were young and how it became uh, your passion and driving force in in your personal and professional life.
0: You know, I I come from a a big family. I've got two brothers, two sisters, but I seem to be the only one of my siblings that actually – took to golf. And I, uh, I would actually go out when I was 10, 11 years old with my mom at, on uh, Tuesdays where it was ladies day in the mornings and my mom would drag me out there and I'd actually play. And, you know, every once in a while I would actually play with some of the, the ladies and I just had a lot of fun doing it and just enjoyed golf. And what I, I quickly learned when you're out at the country club you're out there, and you know all the, the attorneys and judges and pharmacists and doctors. Everybody's out there, and so as you grow up as a kid, knowing all those people, you know they're great influences on you in your life. And and uh, I was just glad that 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 was something that that took my interest. And and next thing I know, you know, I was I was playing some national junior golf stuff and. And then uh, from there, you know, played a little bit in college. And next thing I know, I was helping getting the uh, American Junior Golf Association going. And, and watching that thing grow to the height that it's grown to now is incredible. And that ultimately led me to Georgia. So very thankful that golf was a part of my life.
1: How did your time with the AJGA prepare you for your role as,
0: as head coach of a major college program? You know, we back in, I think, I want to say it was 1991, I think it was, 90 or 91. You know, we decided to create an event, which was kind of a a Ryder Cup style event where we took the best boys and girls from the East and they would play the the best boys and girls from the West. And Canon USA, the the camera company, sponsored it. And our first event was going to be at Lake Nona. And I was the captain of the West team. Stephen Hamlin was the captain of the East team. And back in that first year, we kind of did it to where we, we really didn't know what we were doing in terms of picking the teams other than we were going to kind of put together a committee to pick the team. But we were also going to give both coaches two uh, captains picks, pick whoever you wanted on your team. And so at that particular point in time, the AJJ was really 14-year-olds to 18-year-olds. And I had seen a young man playing at the Big Eye earlier that year, or maybe, yeah, it was earlier that year. And he was only 13 years old, but he was going to turn 14, so he wasn't a member of the AJJ yet. But I really liked what he did. He didn't win the tournament out there, but but I just liked everything about him. So I put him on my team as one of my wild card picks. And everybody was like, who? And I went, trust me, I think this kid's pretty good. Well, I got a little nervous when we got to Lake Nona and this kid showed up and I uh, told his dad to go to his room. I said, throw your clubs on my uh, on my cart. We're going to go play. I want to see if you're as good as I thought you were. And uh, so we went and we played. And after nine holes, I said, I think I'll be okay because Tiger Woods turned out to be a pretty good player. (laughs) Wow. So, so Tiger at age 14, just turned 14, joined my team. And then I had him for four more years or three more years. So I had him for four years on my, on my Cannon Cup team. And so really kind of having that atmosphere. I did that for six years uh, before I left for Georgia, but doing that team format and being with those guys and girls and, and really, um, you know, I enjoyed the the team meetings at night and getting with those guys, and going out in the practice rounds with those guys. That's what really sparked my interest. So when I got a call about maybe whether or not I'd be interested in the University of Georgia position, I think having the, had that experience, I went, yes, absolutely I would. And um, I think that's what piqued my interest. And so I kind of brought to Georgia a lot of those same type of feelings and thoughts I had about team atmosphere. And, and uh, luckily Vince Dooley uh, hired me and and gave me a chance.
1: I'm always interested in this because I feel like I played baseball all my life in in college. And I feel like in athletics and in general, recruiting kids that are 17 and 18 years old is a difficult proposition, right? You're trying to forecast not only what they're going to be physically, but I think more importantly, and I think this kind of gets discounted a little bit, Is how they're going to develop and how they're going to be from the mental aspect of things. And you bring up tiger. And I think one of the things that's made him most special as a golfer is his mental fortitude, the ability to push on and to kind of be, uh, make that his greatest asset. He's obviously very physically gifted, but I think he's, he said in interviews that, that he didn't have the physical talent in his mind that say a Phil Mickelson had, but, mentally, he had to grind it out and make himself great. How do you forecast that? Or how do you evaluate that? And and what allows certain guys to separate and, and do that where others may struggle with that?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, let me tell you, Tiger, Tiger was incredible. And you're right, he, his dad um, really prepared him uh, in a very unique way, but in a very good way. And And one thing, one story I'll tell you real quick is that You know, I got to know Earl pretty well. And, in fact, um, we put Earl on our board at the AJGA at some point just to get, you know, again, his insights and his ideas. But one thing he told me that I thought was really interesting is that he taught Tiger how to play the game from the hole backwards. And so, you know, I tell people that all the time. And they go, what does that mean? I said, well, you know, when he was two years old, the hole was only maybe five feet, you know, five feet long. Right. Um, you know, as he got older, you know, meant next thing you know, he might be playing a twenty-yard hole, and then he's playing a fifty-yard hole, and then he's playing a hundred-yard hole. But what he always was teaching Tiger was that, you know, you hit a you hit a first shot, you try to put the ball on the green, you try to make a birdie, or you make a par. So he was learning that it was all about scoring. Whereas I remember when I was a kid, me and my buddy Lewis Brown, we would go, and we would go to the back tees to see if we could break 80, which was in hindsight, probably the dumbest thing we could have done <laughs> because that, you know, again, that, that wasn't much of an accomplishment in terms of learning how to, to, to do the scoring. So learn, learn that from, uh, from Earl early on in, in that regard. But to your point about what we do with our team, you know, the, 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 the thing about golf is that there are innate, a number of very, very talented players and, there are some very talented players that never make it on tour. There are some guys who have a little less talent who make it on tour. And inevitably the variable is guys who can handle the pressure. So guys who can handle the fear, guys who, who aren't afraid when everything's on the line, they, they have the mental fortitude and the mental toughness to embrace the, the scared and the afraid and the pressure and still hit a golf shot you know, even with everything on the line and that's, and that's hard to do. It's hard for some guys to mentally just do. And so one thing that we try to teach all of our guys is to try and be comfortable when they're uncomfortable. And that's the key. Cause, cause again, every, there's a lot of good players, but the guys who can do it when everything's on the line, is the guys who win and the guys that make the big difference and make a lot of money. And Tiger was always very, very good at that. Jack Nicholas was always very, very good at that. You know, Justin Thomas is good at that. That's what makes good players. Great. Is being able to embrace that.
1: That's a great point. And I would say at the professional events that I've attended, what was amazing to me, especially at the first one I attended was how great each golfer on the golf course is right at that level. They are all to the average golfer. Like me, they're, they're just freakish in their talent. And if you watch, say, if you're at the masters and there's 85, 86 of them, and you say, look, all these guys could be the best golfer in the world. And there's this little sliver that separates them. And I've always just been fascinated by, by what that is. Cause I feel like in so many ways, golf is a game of managing failure and having a short memory and then moving on and and capitalizing when you can. Um, and I just feel like that's, that's such a easy thing to say, but from an execution perspective is a really, really difficult exercise. And, uh, it's interesting that you bring up the point about being uncomfortable. I'd heard an interview with one of your former players, Kevin Kisner, and he was asked, are you nervous when you get on the first tee at a major? And he's like, well, I never stop being nervous, but the difference is I've done this so many times now that the experience of being nervous is different for me than say it would be for you. That's playing on the weekend and then comes to play at Augusta. He goes, yeah. so it's not like I'm feeling the emotion any less. I'm just managing it differently based on the number of repetitions that I've had doing that. And I never had heard it framed that way. Yeah. I just thought that was a really, really interesting way to look at it.
0: And, um, and, and I think that's very true. And um, because I even think, you know, Dustin Johnson or Tiger or Nicholas, any of those guys will tell you, they still felt those butterflies. They still felt, but they just, again, they've they just learned how to manage that, you know, when that happens. You know, it was interesting. I, I, I remember listening to a story, this was years ago, listening to John Elway talk about when he first got into the NFL in his rookie year, he could not believe how fast all these guys were. And that, man, he just felt like he had no time in the pocket. And that as five or six years went by, he all of a sudden, he got used to it. And then he felt like he had all the time in the world back there. He felt very comfortable. So having repetitions of doing it and being under that gun and and doing it so often, eventually, that's ultimately what happens. And I'm sure Tom Brady probably feels the same thing. He's done it so much. He's been in that arena so much. He probably feels like he has all day back there. So... It just makes a, a, a good quarterback great because he doesn't have that extra pressure of, of worrying about things. You have obviously had a
1: fantastic career at the university of Georgia and you have built an incredible program and have produced enough pro players that it's easy to replace the P with the U uh, in PGA tour and make it the UGA tour because the university is so well represented. What would you say has been I guess the the most consistent aspect of the program over your tenure and what has, has led to that continued success?
0: You know, I think, I think, you know, in any good program, you just want consistency. You always want to to continue to do the same things you've always been doing. One thing that I think we do is we treat everybody the same. We, whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're an incoming freshman, we treat them all the same whenever they come in and we give that freshman every opportunity right out of the gate to prove themselves. You know, that's the, you know, the beautiful thing about golf is that you tee it up and you don't have to play defense against that guy or anything. It's just, it's him in the golf course. So if he goes out and shoots 68, that's all that really matters. I mean, that's, that's up to him to do. And so a freshman is, is a, you know, he feels entitled to be able to come in and earn that spot and win that spot if he plays well. And so they work hard. And so the consistency of that, I think, has always been we make guys earn it through a process of, of having to qualify and, and earn that spot, earn that place on your team. And, and it's always been something that we've we've done because, as I tell all these guys, especially when they're younger, is that the PJ tour is not going to come and give you a, a PJ tour card. You're going to have to earn it. And that every day, no matter if you're professional or whatever, you're going to be playing for your, for your next spot, whether you're, whether you're a, a college player playing to get into the top five, or you're a, a now just turned pro who's trying to earn status on the corn Ferry tour, or you're a corn fairy guy trying to get onto the PJ tour and if you're on the PJ Tour, you're trying to get, you know, from the 125 to the 70, and then from the 70 to the 50, and the 50 to the 30, and get to the Tour Championship. Well, it's still done in there. You're still trying to now make the Ryder Cup team or the Pre- President's Cup team. So it doesn't matter. Every level you go up, you're still having to be challenged to get to another level, and uh, and so that's why you, you you can't ever sit back and and uh, rely on your past you got to always be going forward trying to get not necessarily better but just getting more consistent and if you can if you can just have a lot of good consistency in your game you're going to give yourself a chance to win a lot of times or at least you're gonna as kisner says cash a lot of nice checks
1: Catch a lot of nice checks. That's right. This, this ain't no
0: hobby, as he would say.
1: That's right. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you about, just because you've been there uh, coming up on 25th anniversary at the university. I just want to let you talk a little bit about what the University of Georgia and, and Athens has meant to you over that time period and what it's meant to the growth and development of the golf program.
0: You know, I think, I think back on the fact that if it hadn't have been the University of Georgia, because, you know, I grew up a, a huge Bulldog fan, and if it hadn't been Georgia that came calling, I don't know that I'd have made this move. But the fact that it was Georgia, I had a lot of friends that played at Georgia. The, I played high school golf against some guys like Madden Hatcher and Jack Larkin and Peter Persons and, and Lewis Brown. And, and so I knew a lot of those guys, a lot of the guys who had come through the AJGA in my time there had gone to George. I knew a lot of those guys. I don't know that, that I'd have done it, but when I got, I can remember when I came up to Athens and, and met with coach Dooley and he kind of took me around and showed me the facilities Or we didn't really have very good facilities. We didn't have anything really. It was, it was actually pretty awful in the, in the fact that, um, you know, the public drive range was what we used. You couldn't even get a ball picker out there because the ruts in the range were so bad. There was a telephone pole out there in the middle with a a big sign up on the top that said 150. And then there was a a (laughs) blue barrel way down to the right with a broken flag stick in it. And, and, you know, these were your targets. And to a lot of people, they might have looked at that and went, I'm not going to do this. I can't recruit to this. I actually looked at it as an opportunity because I thought, you know what? I can, I can build something here. I can grow this. I can really take it from where it is and really make it into something special. And, and we did that very quickly. So within two years we had built a whole new practice facility. Um, And then within three years, we, you know, we built a, a clubhouse out there for the team. What's funny is, is, you know, back in those days, nobody really had that kind of stuff. Right. And I found and, and the reason I did it, I, what I found was is my office, believe it or not, my very first office was the old trophy room in the Coliseum. And I shared it with the, the cheerleading coach and the women's sports administrators in there. Uh, excuse, excuse me, women's sports promotions in there. And so it was on the concourse of the Coliseum. And I'll never forget my first late May. When all of a sudden this just got awful smell and I was like, what in the world is going on that they did the rodeo in the Coliseum, They would throw <laughs> it off, they'd bring all the dirt in and they did the rodeo in there. So, wow, it was a, a farm smell for sure. <laughs> but, um, but I would always find myself being in the, being in the office in the Coliseum and going, I wonder if anybody's out at the range. So I'd drive out there. And nobody would be out there, so I'd go back to the office. And then I'd go be like, so I wonder if anybody's out there now. Three hours later, I'd go out there and maybe somebody's out there and I'd, I'd work with them or do something with them. And then they'd leave and I'd have to go back to the Coliseum. So I was always driving back and forth. And I finally said, I need, a, I need an office out here where the guys can come and see me. They can be where I am. We can talk about golf. We can go out on the range. We can do whatever we need to do. So we built this really nice clubhouse with a locker room and everything. And it was really kind of one of the, one of the first ones in college golf um, that maybe wasn't attached to a clubhouse that somebody else had already done. And so then all of a sudden people started coming to see what we did now. Just about everybody has those now. And, and in right. fact, we've, we've gone through a renovation and made ours even bigger and better from the original. But, um, but those are huge differences um, for our program to kind of get out in front of everybody and and do things.
1: So I know you're a big football fan. I have to ask you about top golf at Sanford. How cool is that to kind of have the intersection of the big stage between the hedges and, and top golf being the number one show there, golf being the the main attraction uh, for four or five days in June.
0: I think that is going to be super cool. I'm telling you, I'm so excited to see that happen. Um, You know, when Josh Brooks, before it got announced. And he said to me, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? I went, heck yeah, absolutely. That is, I think that's one of the coolest ideas going. And, you know, Josh, what I love about Josh is he's a uh, very forward thinker. Um, Mm -hmm. I can remember years ago when we, when we did the concert at Sanford stadium and uh, you know, we've, we've always talked about doing another one of those I mean that place over there sits empty for most of the year. So yeah. To be able to utilize it and do something like, like this top golf or a concert, I think it's awesome because I, I just I love anytime I can go into Sanford Stadium, I love it. So no matter what it is, football, concert, golf, I'm in. Yeah, we're the
1: same. My my sister has never been to Athens, and her birthday is the weekend of top golf. So we're taking her to Athens to do top golf at Sanford. And we're, we're really, really excited about it. I think it's gonna be an awesome showcase. She's for, gonna love it. Yeah, it's it's just gonna be great. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Augusta, just because I had the opportunity to to go with my dad for his 70th birthday, and it was just such a joy. Um, I just I, I love that golf course, I, I love that place. And what is it like for you as a, not just as a, as a fan of golf and someone who loves golf, but I think it's neat. You have kind of a different dynamic to have guys that you've coached and you're an active part of their life to go to that place and, and to watch those guys pursuing their dream.
0: You know um, my, you know, I used to go there as a kid and watch the tournament, you know, back in the days when you could literally show up at the practice rounds and pay, you know, $5 to get in. And I can remember, you know, when it went to $10, it was like, eh, okay, still, it's a great idea. Um, but we used to go as kids and, and do that. And then, um, you know, once once it became really hard to get tickets, I didn't go very often. I, I really loved watching it on TV. Yeah. Because I think the TV coverage uh, of the Masters is second to none. I mean, it's it's fantastic. And, and everything you can do now, it's great. But When Ryu Giamata, who was um, one of my players in 99, who helped us win the national championship, when he won the Bell South Classic and got invited to the Masters, you know, he invited me to come, you know, over for a round, but to come down to, you know, where he was staying, he said, you'll actually go in with me. So I was actually able on tournament day to go down Magnolia Drive with him. Oh, wow. and, And I mean, what a, what a, what a, you know, goosebump moment that is. You know, you're just like, this is so surreal to be able to do that. Um, so that was always, you know, one of the biggest highlights. I actually did have a chance to caddy um, in the par three tournament for a buddy. My name Willie Wood, and this was back when Tiger was just getting going. Yeah. And so there were a couple of times in those days when they were still using the old driving range. And so we we went up on the range, and Tiger was hitting balls, and I had, I had just kind of went down there and was talking to him a little bit, and uh, and, I, and he was hitting these drivers, and they were like bullets going right into the net down there. And I said, "Why are you hitting bullets like that?" And he goes, "Well, if I hit them normal, they go over the fence and into <laughs> Washington Road. And they get mad at me." I said, "Really, you can hit it that far?" And he said, "Yeah." And I went, "Hit one for me." He said, "No, I can't. I can't." I said not even for old time sakes. And he went, no, they get mad at me. I said, okay. So we kept talking about all different kinds of stuff. And then at some point I saw him T went up a little bit higher and he hit it. And that thing, it must've flown to Piggly Wiggly. And he picked <laughs> up his tee, said, I got to get out of here. You're going to get me in trouble. Um, so that was another great memory. But um, there was one year when we had six guys Six of my former players playing in it. It was uh, Bubba, Eric Compton, who had finished second at the U.S. Open, and uh, I think Russell Henley had won that year. Uh, Brendan Todd had won the Byron Nelson. Chris Kirk had won, and I'm trying to think who the sixth one was. It was uh, might have been might have been Harris um, or Kisner, one of those guys. But anyway, it was funny. I got a note. Or I got a, a text saying hey, do you know what's going on? Billy Payne has asked the six Georgia guys to join him over by the putting green at, you know, three o'clock today or whatever. You know, do you happen to know what's going on? I said, I have no idea. And uh, what I came to find out was he had them come over and he had a picture made with the six Georgia guys holding the Georgia flag. And then he ended up getting that, he ended up getting that blown up and he framed it with a, with a flag sign ball. Those guys with a little plate that he gave to me, which hangs him off today It's one of my coolest, coolest things I have in there. Um, oh, that's awesome. But there was also a year that Harris and Henley not only were in the tournament, but got paired together in the first two rounds and they were in the final pairing um, day one. So, so literally walked the entire day with that group, um, you know, watching my two guys play um, who had come in as freshmen together and were roommates together. And here they are playing in the first round of the Masters together. And I'm walking with, with the parents and uh, we, re- we relived a lot of great memories that day.
1: Oh, how cool is that! So I have to tell you my my Mr. Payne story at, at Augusta. My my dad and I were lucky enough to go Saturday and Sunday in um let's see twenty must've been twenty eighteen I guess it was, and um the uh, one of my buddies from college had family passes and was kind enough to to let me use them so I could take my dad and and we were walking around the putting green up near the clubhouse, and uh Mr. Payne walked by and I I didn't want to say anything i just casually said go dogs and he looked right at us and he goes go dogs and so it was (laughs) it was a a really cool moment to have at a a sunday at at the masters so that was that was pretty awesome so uga is everywhere especially i feel like on that golf course so i love that um well i want to close with you today how we close with all our guests we do something called the smart 16 which is just sixteen quick questions in honor of coach smart and I'm going to do them a little bit differently for you because you're you're a coach so I'm going to I want to ask you a couple things about the golf team as well so but the first the first question is what's your middle name jay jay is that a family name
0: no my mom uh, told me that she loved the color of a blue jay and so she named me jay oh I love that
1: I love that okay so this is a dual-sided question. Like I said, I know you're a big football fan, so I'm going to ask you who your favorite bulldog is of all time on the gridiron, but I also want to know who the player that you have coached uh, helped you to grow as a coach the most.
0: My favorite football player is Herschel. Love Herschel, and he's a great guy. He's come out to the golf course you know, a few times and uh, just a wonderful guy. The player that helped me grow the most – You know what? Probably, probably Brendan Todd. I've spent a lot of time talking to him over the years and uh, he's very smart and very, uh, uh, very good at seeing little things. And I would bounce a lot of things off him and, and still to this day because he lives in Athens, I still see him quite a bit. So I would say probably Brendan.
1: Okay. What is your favorite dogs football game that you have ever watched or attended and what's your favorite uh, moment as a coach?
0: Probably my favorite, without a doubt, my favorite game was going to the Rose Bowl and watching that game. And it was incredible. The atmosphere, the whole experience was, was great. And then it turned out to be one of the greatest classic football games you could ever watch.
1: Was that the first time you'd ever been
0: to the Rose Bowl? Yes, absolutely. And How,
1: and how magic think- was that?
0: It was awesome. And the fact that we were going to the Rose Bowl, my wife and I were like, we're going. We're going to go out there because, you know, whether we could get tickets or not, we were going to go out there. But obviously we got tickets and it was uh, experience of a lifetime. In fact, I think if we went back to the Rose Bowl, I don't know if I'd go because it'll never match that one.
1: It's interesting you say that. My brother and I have talked about that. I just don't know if if it could ever eclipse what that day was. I mean, the weather that day was magnificent. And, uh, you know, the, the B2 coming over and just I get chill bumps even now thinking about it. And then the way that game went and for yeah. as many Georgia fans as that were there to get to revel and celebrate in that moment together. I mean, I, that's that's almost an untoppable moment in a lot of ways. Yeah.
0: And it was such a it was such an incredible game.
1: It yeah. was. It sure was. Well, how about how about favorite tournament you've ever been a part of as a coach?
0: Um, well, obviously my national championships have always been very, very, very special. Um, but there's, there's an incident in both of it, in both those events that, that always stand out to me. The final round in 99, when we won Ryuji Yamada was paired with Luke Donald and Charlie Howell in the final round. And he not only played one of the best rounds of golf. I probably, probably the best round of golf I've ever seen because he not only loaded us up on his back and carried us to a championship. He shot 67 that day, which tied the course record. Oh, wow. Uh, That's how hard that golf course was. People got to understand in the, in the national championship that year, we were the only team that didn't have a round in the eighties. It was playing that hard, but he shoots 67 with a 31 on that backside to help us win the national championship. And it was just an incredible moment that a guy just raised his expectations and his level to that. The second one is the national championship at Caves Valley in, uh, in 2005. Now, imagine we're going into the final round with a nine-shot lead over Georgia Tech. And that night I didn't sleep very well because all I can think of is – if we lose a nine-shot lead to Georgia Tech, Georgia paper will never let me live that down. So I was a nervous wreck all night. But what ended up happening was something that's never happened to my knowledge in college golf in any tournament that I've seen since then, before then, and since then, and that is all five of my guys shot 70 in that final round all five. So every, every guy that came in, you know, 70, 70, 70. so there was never any pressure on me. They all played that good. And, uh, but to have all five of them shoot the exact same score on the final round of the national championship was incredible.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. And especially to have it happen against Georgia tech, it can't get much sweeter than that. You're right about that. What is your favorite rivalry that Georgia has? In golf? In, in any sport.
0: Um, well, in, obviously in golf, it's it's whenever we play Georgia Tech. We love going up against those guys. I also love going up against Oklahoma State. Those are, you know, those two great programs who uh, we love battling with them. But when it comes to football, I love when we play Clemson. That's one of my favorite games to see us play. You know, obviously you got to like whenever we play Florida and anything. So if I had one big match that I had to pair myself up and have play for all the marbles, uh, I'd want to play tech and golf.
1: That's a good one. I feel like clean old-fashioned hate is never
0: a bad thing, regardless of what the sport
1: is. So I'm good
0: for that. It's not much of a rivalry in football anymore, but in golf it's still a really good one.
1: Yeah, football's kind of gone by the wayside, but hopefully it'll come back. I, I'm one of these people that likes rivalries to be heated and competitive, so I, I'd like yeah. to see them at least get competitive. I mean, you want to see the good guys come out on top every year, but yeah. I'd at least like it to be competitive games. Yeah. Okay, what is I'll do a dual question? You can answer it either way. We usually do. What's your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? So I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite
0: away uh, golf course to play in the Southeastern Conference? You know we don't we don't do that a whole lot. We don't really go play everybody else's golf courses that much. There there is one that we're going to be playing, which is in Mississippi State's uh, tournament. It's called uh, I can't. Remember. It's called, God, now I've lost I've lost track of what it's called, but I, I understand it's a great great golf course. So I'm really looking forward. Oh, Waverly, it's called Old oh, Waverly. Okay. Looking forward to playing that one, and they say it's a great, great golf course uh, to play. But you know, most of the other ones, uh, the Gator is okay. You know, Auburn's is okay. Frankly, I think uh, our golf course is probably the the best in the conference. The one they have out in Arkansas is really, really good. It's unbelievably conditioned. It's very, very hard. But it's hard to the point where I I made the comment when we played the national championship there with the hills that they ought to make prisoners play out there. That's a that's <laughs> an old bad lasting line. I mean, it's it's incredibly hard to walk. So I, I wouldn't want to play there every day. All right. What is the loudest home game you've ever attended at Sanford Stadium? Do you remember the game? This is the one that stands out to me anyway. But you remember the game when we I think we played Auburn and it was the game in where they played Soldier Boy on the sidelines and they're all dancing over there. Oh, yeah. I I actually think they wore the black jerseys. That was the blackout. Yeah. And (laughs) that was the most fun, electric, loud I've ever I've ever heard it that I can remember. That has been a very popular
1: answer amongst our guests. So I think it speaks to how loud it was and how ruckus it was that night. I was in grad school in Boston at the time. And even on TV, it was one of those games where you could just feel the atmosphere. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. All right.
0: So you get to choose the headlining act at
1: the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose?
0: The headlining act? um, I would probably take Luke Bryan.
1: That's a good one. That's a good one.
0: Yeah. Okay, what is the cocktail
1: you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? Uh,
0: that'd be vodka with a little uh, peach fresca and uh, maybe a little splash of cranberry in there.
1: Oh, we're going to have to put that in the rotation. I, I, that sounds good to me. That's going to have to make the, uh, the tailgate menu here in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> very good. I'd give it a try. Okay, you got one meal to eat in Athens. What's your favorite place to eat in Athens?
0: Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. I,
1: I know like, that's an impossible question.
0: Yeah, I like them all. <laughs> um, you know, the, the guys at – man, the guys at Five Bar are great. The guys at uh, Chuck's are great. Man, that's, that's, a hard, that's a hard one for me. Um, and The Last Resort, I love that place uh, as well. I'd probably, probably go to Last Resort
1: that's that's been a that's been a popular answer too. We've had some guests say, "Can I name one for every meal of the day?"
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love that.
1: All right, do you have any um do you have any golf match superstitions? So you guys are going into a big tournament, do you have any tournament superstitions? Things you have to do, something you have to wear, any of those type of things?
0: You know, I used to I've tried to get away from those just, you know, cuz Gosh almighty, I think I drive everybody crazy. But um, no, I kind of, my superstitions kind of happen as the tournament goes on. So if, uh, you know, I'll tell you a story. So in 99, again, these superstitions, in 99 were at Hazeltine. And I was stood and I was leaning up against a tree. And one of the guys made a birdie. And I was still leaning against the tree when another guy came through and made birdie. So then I had to stay there and wait for all <laughs> five groups. And I, used to, and I used to have a superstition where like, again, up at Hazeltine, you'd get up in the mornings and it was very cool in the morning. So I would put on my rain suit, uh, over my pullover. And, uh, but if we got off to a good start, I was not taking anything off. And it was always funny because the guys kind of knew that. So when they would make the turn and they'd see me on like the 11th or 12th hole and it's 80 degrees out, and I still had my rain suit on. They all <laughs> knew we were playing pretty good because I wouldn't have <laughs> oh, I love that. So that was kind of – that was probably my biggest superstition, not change anything. All right, what is your favorite
1: Sanford Stadium pregame tradition, whether it's a uh, dog walk, a uh, lone trumpet, Uh, Larry Munson coming over the airwaves and addressing Bulldog Nation. What's your favorite thing about the pregame atmosphere at Sanford?
0: When, um, and this is kind of crazy, but when that lone trumpeter stands up over there over the H and South and it gets quiet and that happens, I get chill bumps every time. Yep. And, uh, and then of course, you know, leading into Larry, but, um, But I just love – I love that. i tell you the other one that I've really come to like now that cell phones are in use is when everybody turns their light on in the fourth quarter and does that and it lights up the stadium like it does. I think that's very cool too. Speaking of
1: that and speaking of your Rose Bowl answer, how cool was that out in Pasadena when that happened because there were so
0: many dogs fans. I thought that was a really neat moment. And you know what? That right there was the telltale sign of how many Bulldogs were out there because I don't think Oklahoma people doing that because they had no, I don't think they had a clue what we did. And uh, I mean, that happened. And the same thing happened at Notre Dame. That's right. That's exactly right. And then you went, wow, we are overwhelming this place. So, no, I love that. Love that tradition. And again, it gives me goosebumps when that happens.
1: Yeah. Oh, that, that's a really good one. I, and I love that tradition. I love too, that that's something that travels. Even we went to Vandy for the season opener uh, a couple seasons ago and, and even in Nashville that night, you know, you, you just yeah. saw it. And it, it's kind of a cool way to know that, that your, your brethren and sisters are all there with you. So yep. that's a cool thing for sure. Okay. Uh, black jerseys.
0: Yes or no? No, I'm a traditionalist. I I, I just kind of like traditional things, even though one of my favorite games was the black Jersey game. (laughs) I think that's one thing. I think that may be something you break out once every 10 years or something, but yeah, I, I almost, you know, again, I almost feel like you, you rely on it for fake juice a little bit too much and we don't need that. We got a good team. Let's go, let's go tee it up and play.
1: I like that. I like that. Okay. What is the loss? You're still not over as coach.
0: Oh God! I, the the loss in uh, two thousand and I think it was eleven when we got beat in the finals at Carson Creek for the championship, and it is a loss that uh, that is hard for me because, um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but it came down to us in Augusta State, and
1: oh, I didn't, I didn't, I, didn't State, I didn't,
0: yeah you know, had Patrick Reed, who I had picked off our team. Yep. And it just so happened in the final group, he was going to be playing Harris English. Harris English is the nicest guy, the most polite, just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And it came down to him versus Patrick Reed down the last few holes. And I just remembered thinking to myself, karma has got to be on my side you know <laughs> uh, it's got to be on Harris's side because he's just a kid who did everything right but uh, but as it turned out uh, you know we didn't we, we lost that match on the 17th hole and uh, and that one still haunts me to this day <laughs> I, I, lo- I would love to have that one back
1: I, I think it's an interesting thing about sports, how sometimes, and you know, you've heard multiple competitors talk about this, whether it's coach Belichick or coach Sabin or Tom Brady or whoever, right? The greats of the greats, the guys that have, that have been at the mountaintop a number of times, just as you have, right? And it's, it's always the losses, right? Yeah. It's the losses that hurt more than the, than the wins feel good. And I, I think that just goes to, I think the competitive nature and what makes the great ones great. So I, I love that.
0: No, you know you're you're right, and I've always felt that way. I, and I told that to somebody years ago. I said, you know, it, it bothers me more to lose than I enjoy winning. However, now that I've gotten older, I think I will enjoy winning a little bit more uh, if it happens. But um, but yeah, y- you're right. Losing losing you take with you forever. That's right. All right. What's your order at the varsity? Oh. Two two chili dogs with mustard only and some onion rings.
1: (laughs) I like it. I like that. Okay. I'm going to ask you two questions on this. So normally we ask, and I want you to answer this. There ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs. Yes or no? Yes. All right. And I'm going to do a variation on that. There ought to be a constitutional amendment that mandates that all golf coverage from the time the first guy tees off until the last guy tees off over the four-day tournaments should be televised. Yeah. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. Yeah. That is one of the most frustrating things as a consumer is that the first guy tees off at 730, I want to watch it. Like, I don't want to watch it on my computer. I want to watch it on my big TV, and it yeah. drives me nuts.
0: Well, I, I tell you what, though, how, how great is it now – I'm telling you, Augusta, Augusta national is amazing. They, they, they are do what they've done so that you can now literally go on your computer and you can watch your guy play yeah. all 18 holes, you know? And so what I found myself doing this year was that I could find my three or four guys that were playing and put them on there. And then every time they would hit a shot, it, you know, would come up. It was awesome. I loved, I loved having that feature. So to your point, That's what I love is being able to see a lot of coverage of golf and seeing a lot of different guys play. If I was going to say one thing that bothers me in golf coverage is we tend to see the same guys over and over and over and over and over again, that particular tournament. And I know they're leaders and so forth, but but it doesn't take a lot to show different shots and different people. I, I like seeing golf shots.
1: I'll tell you an interesting story, and this one also harkens back to Augusta, but my dad and I got there really early Saturday morning, and Paul Casey was essentially out of the tournament. Okay, He had to play that day with the marker that morning, but he was first one out. So my dad and I went and followed him and the marker for – I must have followed him, 13 or 14 holes. Was was the marker Jeff Knox? I was going to ask you this because he was awesome. Yeah, it was probably Jeff.
0: How long ago was was this? uh,
1: I think it was,
0: I think 18 was the year we went. I mean, he was a stick. Like he was throwing
1: darts all day.
0: Yes. Jeff Knox, who's a very good friend of mine and he's a really good player. Really good golfer. And I'm going to tell you this. He played so well. I think it pushed
1: Paul Casey to play well. Paul Casey got himself back in the tournament. I think he ended up finishing like 15th. I mean, he made some money that weekend. Yeah. And it was so awesome to follow them around and just watch them essentially play a match against each other. And, uh, you know, uh, his family was there. Uh, yep. and so that was neat to see them kind of cheering for him as he went throughout. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And to that point, like you missed that round on, from a TV perspective. Sure. And so it'd be, it be awesome to kind of get that experience. So that, that was one of my my dad and I still talk about that. One of our favorite experiences from that entire weekend was not, you know, uh, master Sunday and following everybody on the, on the race. Cause you know, Jordan made a big push that day yeah. and Ricky made a big push and, it was, you know, awesome tournament, but that was one of our favorite memories from the whole weekend. So I, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah,
0: Jeff is a uh, Jeff is a really, really good player and uh, super, super nice guy too.
1: Yeah. We had a great time watching, but I have to tell my dad that he'll love that. So we talk about him all the time. <laughs> yeah So, all right. Last question, college football playoff, expand to eight teams or
0: find how it is. I would like to see it expand to 8 teams. I really would. I think there's, you know what, there's every conference should put their champion in there and then have three at larges um I, I just I think it would help. I know there some people would say, well, then the ninth team is going to feel left out. Well, you know what? You're st- you're going to get eight quality teams and I think it would be much much more entertaining.
1: Yeah, I agree and I think it it eliminates the issue that's just the the elephant in the room every year, right? Which is we have five power conferences and four bids. And with the with the power struggle there, it's got to come to a head at some point. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that I think they'll figure it out when the TV deal is up that, that that'll be good. And I think the consumers will love it too. Cause I mean absolutely another weekend of football, awesome. I mean fantastic.
0: Well, and then it takes <laughs> it takes that next level of bowl games and actually puts some a nice emphasis on how they're going to create those, you know, it makes it's going to make another four great bowl games for them. So
1: that's right. That's exactly right. All right, coach, we are off the hot seat. That's, that's the smart 16. Thank you for indulging us with that. No, loved it. Loved it. All right, coach. We'll tell our listeners where they can follow you on social and how they can support Georgia golf in every way possible.
0: Uh, well on social, I'm not exactly sure. Heck, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to do Instagram or any of that stuff. I know that I know I'm on Twitter now and I think I'm, I, mean, I think
1: UGA Hacker, is that UGA right? UGA Hacker, Hacker? I think, yeah. yeah.
0: But I think Georgia Golf got it's uh, own Twitter account, Instagram, and so forth. You know, we'll start playing again on, uh, on March 15th, I think is the first round of the tournament down in Auburn. So uh, you can follow us on Golfstat, golfstat.com. Uh, you're able to keep up with the live scoring. All right, coach. We
1: will be rooting for y'all, and, and we know y'all are going to have a big year this year. We feel good about it, and uh, hope everything goes well. And we look forward to uh to seeing you again in the near future.
0: I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: All right, thank you, coach. Go dogs, sick them. Go
0: dogs, you got it.
1: Hey, George is better now.